1: Hello and welcome to The Call. Ten stocks picked by you, two experts, one hour. It is Friday, the 22nd of July. I'm Andrew Gagan. Good to have you with us. Our two experts for this hour, Luke Winchester from Meriwether Capital and Claude Walker from Rich Live. Welcome to both of you guys. Uh, Luke, what's going on at an index level at the moment? It's been a positive week. I think we're up around 3% uh, on the local market. Uh, You see that as being sustainable at this point?
2: Um, I think so, Andrew. I, I've been um, a little bit more optimistic on the market the last few weeks. And, and the main reason why is it feels like a bit more rationality come into the market. I mean, some of the selling, particularly through May and, and June, um, you know, it was well and truly irrational at times. I think we've come into July, a bit more rational market. And, and what you've really seen is some responses to fundamental updates. I mean, Megaport was out the other day. It's not my favourite business, but that was a good quarterly update from Megaport particularly compared to where the business had been in those previous quarters. And you see the share price spike up strongly. A couple of retailers, JB Hi-Fi and Dusk, came out with some good numbers. You've seen share prices react. So, you know, when I see the market being more rational and responding to to fundamental positive news and and, and the other way around, that the the negativity is tied to the fundamental performances of businesses, I get a lot more heart and, and, you know, it, it, it sort of gives me confidence moving forward that as long as you're investing in the right businesses, doing the right things, you sort of don't have to focus too much on what's going to happen at that index level because, you know, the businesses will, will take care of themselves and that's that's really what we need to focus on. Yep. Okay. Claude, yeah, what are your thoughts then? Are you feeling more positive
1: or negative at this point?
0: I guess I'm probably feeling roughly the same. I mean, it's nice to have my portfolio rebound strongly from the tax loss selling that we saw in the end of June, like June, basically, all of June, really. Um, so that's nice and obviously the reason that you stay invested throughout these uh, bear markets is just because you never know when it's going to bottom and you want to be holding some of those high quality businesses for all the reasons um, Luke said so you can't go in and out of the market when you feel like bearish or bullish because you know you'll just be wrong most of the time and transactional costs and it's just not a it's not a sensible way to behave but in terms of how I'm feeling about the markets overall like yeah, to me, only the minority of um, high quality companies got down to levels where I would—I thought their stocks were cheap in June and I did a little bit of buying, but it didn't stay there long. And now we've rebounded already. And generally speaking, for the bottom of a big bear market, I would expect that stocks would stay um, in the cheap zone for a little bit longer. And even that I would be like, going, oh, I thought it was cheap before. Now it's really cheap. And, and that's the kind of situation you see when panic really sets in so yeah i don't know if we have bottom yet but obviously the process we're going through at the moment will probably take in my view another 18 months to sort of unwind um, some of the inflationary impacts that are already sort of in the system Hmm. as well as then the impacts the second order effect impacts from having high interest rates and higher commodity costs depending on how long that goes on for all
1: right well let's see if there are any buying opportunities today particularly the smaller smaller end of the market which i know you guys Always take a good look at our first five stocks for today, Camplify, Alcidian, Numi, MSL Solutions, and AFT Pharmaceuticals. Our stock of the day, it's a bit of a larger one uh, in the insurance space, IAG, out with its preliminary uh, financial year numbers, expecting a full year insurance profit of 586 million. Looking ahead to FY23, seeing modest volume growth and an increase in customer numbers over the course of the upcoming year. Though, uh, it's warning of challenging operating environment with volatile investment markets and a high inflationary environment, of course. So what do our experts think? Uh, Claude, yeah, insurance and of course, we're seeing more and more of these natural disasters, which is clearly impacting those insurers at the same time.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. The main reason that I'm, I've am i not been enthusiastic about investing in insurance for my entire career as investors is because I have an extremely long-term view, which is that um, actuaries at insurance companies are extremely smart and extremely good at modeling things, but the impacts of climate change and the associated extreme weather events are just almost unmodelable. You know, Uh, I definitely think that it's a brand new challenge. Their actual job, their core bread and butter of how insurance makes money is by being good at predicting the risk that a certain thing will happen and then charging appropriately for insurance against that thing. Um, And if that core activity is getting harder, then that means you're operating in an increasingly hostile um, operating environment. Now there's an, there would be an argument that said in the very long term, that will just lead to some very strong companies that nobody else can do what they do. And that might be what happens. But for me, that just makes the whole sector unattractive because there's like a long-term headwind against the sector more near term of course in these results they've said they're going to be um setting aside more money for like you know disasters essentially um going forward and on top of that the cost of fixing things is going up from inflation offsetting that they get more from their investments so not all bad news for iag Mm. you know it's an important company to our society so on them and i wish them well but for me look i'd probably just prefer investing in the index than buy shares in this one
1: yep okay luke your thoughts
2: well, my first thought looking at it is I, you know, you couldn't pay me enough to be an insurance analyst because it's a result that's just all over the place, Andrew. I mean, you, you flashed up the profit number there, but but even digging into this update, there were so many moving parts to it, non-cash items, add backs and provisions and, and all sorts of things, even dating back to years ago. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tough job running an insurance business, probably even a tougher job analysing insurance business from the outside. Um you guys you know claude touched on i think a very important thing which is that that increasing rate of natural disasters and these guys IAGs, have come out and, and said next year they've increased their provisions by 19 percent so uh t- towards that natural disaster um you know allowances that compares to their written premiums are they increasing by high single digits so so clearly you know they're they're anticipating an acceleration and they've been caught behind the curve the last couple of years particularly with the um the floods and then the bushfires before that. Um, look, I I'll probably take a step back for something like IAG and. Acknowledge that from a um, accounting point of view, very difficult to analyse. But I think the one thing you can sort of fall back to is the, is the dividend yield to a stock like this. Have a look today; it's about four and a half percent. That's not too bad in this environment. Um, you know, it, it may be a bit lumpy around um, you know certain years where they may report stronger cash profits than others, depending on you know the, the environment we've just been talking about. Um, but you know, they've come through a tough period, and, and giving that that yield of four and a half percent, I think it's not too bad. Um, I, I would hold it if you're there for that reason. If you're someone who's after capital growth, though, this, this isn't the business for you. I mean, at $4.20, I went and had a look at the, at the really, really long-term chart. That's the same price it was back in 2004. So I, I wouldn't be in this business if you're expecting capital growth. If you're happy for that dividend yield, some sort of 4 to 5%, I would have a look at IAG as a, as a more safe, steady option. Um, but, yeah, and, and hold it only if you're there for that reason, Andrew.
1: All right. Okay. So the summation of IAG. Let's get into the stocks as picked by you, the first one is Camplify. Rayna wanting to know about this one. Uh, it is what's described as the Airbnb of uh, recreational vehicles. Claude, I know uh, this has been a, a favourite focus of yours, but let's start with Luke because it's actually a local Newcastle company, mm. isn't it? Uh, Luke, have you actually... Um, been on board i'm mean, just taking a look at the um the share price in fact uh it's it's round trip they've jumped on and they've jumped off at pretty much the same price so over the over the, the past 12 months um how do you look at
2: it yeah not one i've owned but you're right it is a it is a local newcastle business their uh, their offices are not far from me actually where i am um look you know the airbnb for for caravans um that's the ambition that's the target And and if they can get anywhere near that sort of um, you know, aspiration, particularly on a global level, which they're trying to do, then we'll look back at a, you know, 83 mil market cap and, and, and you know, it, it'll be peanuts compared to what this business could be. Now, of course, it's a, it's a long, long journey to get there. Um, they're doing the right things, though. When you look at the metrics, um, had, a, you know, a recent uh, update in, in, um, in early June. The, the operating metrics of the business look pretty good. Um, you know, rattle some off. Um, booking value was up. Um, take rates were up to nearly 29%. Um, returning hirers increased from 20 to 25. So all of the things you want to see for a marketplace business going in the right direction. Um, it's it's not cheap today. Uh, there's no cash flow metrics in that update, but I suspect they're still burning you know, a few million dollars a quarter with with 17 in the bank, so a bit of runway there. So you're not paying for a cheap business today, you're paying for the potential of what it could be. But, but you know, as, as ASX participants, we know what these marketplace businesses can look like. We, we only have to look towards REA, Seek, car sales to see how dominant these two-sided marketplaces can be when you manage to become that dominant player and attract both sides of the marketplace to your platform. Um, I think, as I said, I don't own this business. I would hold it if you're there because you're there for the long-term potential. And I don't think that's changing despite you know what's going on in the broader market today. What I would say to people who do own it or people who have it on their watch list is, is focus on the supply side of that equation. So getting people's caravans and camper vans onto the platform. I think that's the more difficult Side of the marketplace to bring in, um, even even management acknowledge that they they talk about you know bringing caravans and bringing supply onto the marketplace. I think the demand's more easy to capture, and they're they're quite adept at using search engine optimization and things like that. So, so far those metrics are good; they're growing those vans on platform. As long as that keeps going in the right direction, and they're they're building that two sided marketplace, I wouldn't focus too heavily on short term profitability or cash flow. Um, you know, because it's, it is all about sort of building that long term value engine than in a true marketplace being, so it, it's a hold for me, Andrew. Um, especially coming into a, a reporting season, we'll wait and see again what the update brings. But mm. um, you know, hopefully, hopefully building something really, really interesting, um, you know, just around the corner here in yep. newy
1: All right, okay, Claude. Yeah, what's your expectation, Claude, uh, heading into uh, its uh, earnings results?
0: Well, I guess my well, what my hope is and my expectation is the key number for me to watch heading into these results is the booking revenue. Now, so actually you're correct to say that this is one that I've really followed and I really like it. it as in to follow it. I don't own it presently. Luke gave a great outline of you know, why one should be interested in the stock, I reckon. But uh, the key point is that, you know, I had owned these guys previously and then last year, then the last year, their stock price went uh, bananas and I sold mostly in December and then I held on to some for the long term, like Luke was saying, but then in their most recent results, Um, I was actually disappointed by them and sold after the half yearly results. And the reason I was disappointed is because um, I feel like there's a little bit of diversification going on in business. Now, I fully appreciate that they want to get more RVs onto the platform. Um, And look, the good news in the most recent update is that that's up 60%. But in my opinion, having the distraction of then going into actually retailing RVs, uh, you know, selling vans at a gross margin of just gross margin of just 12.5%. You know that to me just seems like absolute crazy stuff i don't know why they're doing that i don't know um yeah look there's i could speculate but it just seems like they're distracting management it couldn't possibly in my view pay off um for the salaries and the and the mind power that they they spend thinking about that so um i would zoom in on actual booking revenue as the best read on um how the actual ecosystem is growing in terms of the number of people hiring on the platform. And then of course, the people coming back to do that. Mm. Now that's why I like the stock because I think that, um, you know, there is a real uh, market for that. And maybe that's a really a growing market. And that could be really powerful. So I will actually I sold it uh, above current prices, but I would actually put it probably in the hold basket now. And to be quite frank, I could imagine myself buying at current prices if the actual Results come out and they're quite strong. All
1: right, we'll check in with you once that happens. All right, so that's Camplify. we better jump out of the wreck vehicle and into a sports car because we're falling behind, guys, in terms of time. Claude, let's get into uh, Alcideon. Um, uh, we do want to know about this. Um, it is the uh, hospital software business. Uh, strong balance sheet, uh, significant recurring Revenue is derived from, what well, it's got government, private, domestic, international hospital, hospitals and healthcare providers. What are your thoughts, Claude?
0: Uh, yeah, so I'll save some time on this fund since I've written about it and spoken about it heaps. And I do own a, a small number of shares. Look, my biggest concern with these guys is that I found out not so long ago after, you know, in their last report, half-yearly report, that when they refer to recurring revenue, they're not... Um, referring necessarily to recurring revenue that recurs every 12 months so after i realized that i downgraded my valuation of the company and i've just been sitting on the sidelines now as it happens i think that it actually did get quite cheap it was at 10 cents which is what i've sort of said when i most recently wrote it up look i think i'd be interested in buying around 10 cents i didn't buy when it fell down there in june and part of that's just because um look i really want to see cash flow break even and that's and, and even profitability. And that's not slated to happen to FY 2023. So in a way I'm willing to be patient. So I guess at current prices, I'd call it a hole.
2: Okay, all right, Luke. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, Claude and I spoke about this one uh, probably a couple of months ago, and I was, I was actually pretty negative on it. They'd made an acquisition I wasn't too fussed about, um, not so much the operations of the acquisition, but the price they paid. I thought they really overpaid. Um, since then, though, look, they've announced a lot of contracts, um, You know, some of them probably more material than others, but again, it's nice to see them winning work. And the last quarterly, I think, was getting towards what Claude was just alluding to. So they reported a slight operating cash outflow, um, but in the notes, you know, sort of made it clear that if you, if you adjust for the, the M&A costs of that acquisition they made, they'll roughly about cash flow break even. So they're, they're getting towards that point they need to get to. Um, Claude's right, though. This is a business I think that's a little bit more lumpy than what people think because that recurring revenue doesn't come in steadily month by month. It's, it's very lumpy around when they get those cash receipts. Um, so, you know, I, I wouldn't expect to jump in on one good quarter and, and the business, you know, is, is smooth sailing from there. Um, you're going to see good quarters, bad quarters, but but hopefully overall that trajectory moving in the right direction from probably FY '23 onwards. Um, I, I think I come to the same conclusion as Claude as well. For me, it's a hold. Um, if you don't own it, um, you know, and and you're sort of an attracted to this micro cap space, it's definitely one to put on your watch list. It's, it's mm. medical technology. They're, they're such brilliant businesses if they can make them work. So I've got it on my watch list and. If the right time, right price or, or, you know, right execution came along, it's definitely one I'd be more than happy to own.
1: Yeah, okay. All right, well, let's keep uh, motoring along. The next one is Numi. Uh, Mike wanting to know about this, saying, uh, can you put it to our panel Uh, in a grower area of the consumer market? It's in the dairy. Dairy substitute products such as soy and almond milk uh, and pointing out that the share price... Fallen down to what well, recently was at uh, around, well, got down to 14 cents, and uh, that was after what it was at uh, 51 about uh, nine months ago or thereabouts.
2: Luke Numi. Yeah, look, this is one I thought I didn't realise and, and thought it must have been a new IPO or, or something like that. It's it's the old Freedom Foods business, and, and this has been through the ringer. I mean, mm. um, a lot of issues with inventory write-downs, complete recapitalisation of business, management turnover, class actions, well, well I think they're already coming. Um, I can see why uh, Mick, who's written in, I can see why you're attracted to it. They, in, you know, I went through their latest presentation, and in particular that Milk Lab business. You know, every every cafe that I visit around town here, you know, their 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 um, non non milk alternative is, is always Milk Lab. They've clearly got a very good brand there, and, and I can see why you'd be attracted to it in that in that sort of space. Um, I, I just think from a take a step back from a a, a corporate. Um, you know, just history point of view, I need to see a lot more water go under the bridge for this business before I could get anywhere close to it, Andrew. Um, in the last report, it still had negative equity, so you know, there's there's obviously things they still have to work out from a debt recapitalization and just just working through the, the gremlins that were um, under the hood from from a few years ago. Um, I, I, I get the I get why you want to be interested in the brands they've got, but. Mick, I don't think this is one you come to... um, You don't have to be there early in a stock like this. It'll be a a long, arduous path back, um, given the history. So take your time. Make sure that the business is actually turning. You don't have to predict it. Yep.
1: All right. Claude, you may well be using the products. Um, Would you be investing in it, though?
0: Uh, No, I'm definitely more bearish uh, than uh, Luke about that one. Uh, I guess it doesn't um, pass my board and management filters, and I guess I would say to any retail shareholder who's thinking of buying this, like, can you write me an email explaining the impact of the related party transactions since 2017 or whatever? Because I don't think that people can understand that easily. And you know, I note that um, you know the essentially the the same um, wealthy investors who dominated the company five years ago still, as I understand it, you know, dominate the company and have a lot of influence over it. So uh i think you know if you look at that performance that that would be one reason to be wary as well I'm not saying it won't go up or down it's just that there are certain games you can you can say I, I choose not to play that game
1: okay so you're avoiding it at this point then okay you don't feel as though a lot has changed even though it's been rebranded uh all right let's move along to msl solutions it's sports leisure hospitality uh sas technology provider uh recently signed a five-year contract with Stadiums Queensland, um, Linda's saying it has been recommended quite a bit recently. So would love to hear what you guys think about it. Claude.
0: Uh, so MSL Solutions is one, another one that I've sold in the past. And actually sort of my main problem with this one is that it seems to want to be treated as if it's a high growth stock. Um, but really I'm not seeing that high organic growth. So in the first half, um, the company made about just under 17 million revenue. Um, so based on the midpoint of guidance revenue would actually be down half on half. So first half, to second half of FY 2022. So like, that's fine if you're like a mature business, that's profitable, pays a dividend, that kind of thing, but. The the moment when I decided um, to sell my stock in this, which was a, it was above twenty cents at the time, is that when someone asked on the on the H one results call when the company might pay a dividend, the CEO laughed and passed the question to the chairman, who said, "I don't believe a one off dividend provides any benefit to anyone going forward." According to my notes at, um, on the conference call, there. So, yeah, basically, to me, it's like its growth should be a dividend stock, but it's it's not doing that. So. I really just don't see where this fits at all. In it, just basically, to me, it wants to be a growth stock and, and valued on revenue, but I don't see any reason to do that.
1: So you're what? Just avoiding it?
0: I would, yeah, I'd avoid it. I'd sell it. Like, I think oh, okay. that there's a lot of people that are just looking at the short-term operating leverage in the profit, and I guess extrapolating those growth growth rates. Like, don't forget, if you just imp- If you just cut costs to make your profit go up Mm. um, without growing revenue, you can't do that forever. So it's not really the growth kind of multi-year compounding growth that you look for as a growth investor.
1: Okay. Luke, are you as negative as Claude?
2: No, this is one Claude and I, I guess, we disagree on. Mm. Um, it's, it's come up before between us. Um, look, I, I own this in Maryweather Capital, so I'll, I'll disclose that. Um, uh, the the Suncorp and, and Gabba announcement that was came out the other week, um, you know, the company, I, I think it's sort of flagged that they tended for those and, and you know, being a Queensland-based business, we're, we're – uh, you yeah, know, probably in the in the box seat to be awarded, but it's still you know nice to see. And um, you know, Stadium Queensland, there's seven other stadiums, obviously smaller, but maybe um, MSL will be will be front uh, seat to to grab those ones as well. I actually agree with Claude's point, though. I mean, I, I don't consider this to be a high growth business. So I think you've got to pay the right price for it. Um, today it's about a you know sixty three mil market cap you know maybe somewhere around twelve to fifteen times EBITDA and I'm happy to grant them that because they generate decent cash behind that that EBITDA metric um, so so it's had a nice bounce since that announcement I think it's a it's a hold from here it's certainly what I'm doing the Capital when it you know during June in that in that tax loss selling when it got down to sort of sub ten times EBITDA that's the price you would look to buy I agree with Claude it's not high growth you're there for for evaluation um, so you'd be looking looking to pay sort of maybe sub-10, 10, 10, 10, 11 times even um, max. Um, but, again, look, management, they've got ambitions to grow. I, I understand the, the the sort of um, let's let's see the runs on the board before you, you, you jump in and really price them for that growth. Um, so they've got to execute from here. We'll wait and wait and see how they go, but it's a hold, hold for me.
1: Okay, that's NSL Solutions. Our fifth stock is AFT Pharmaceuticals. Harrison wanted to know about this, saying... I want to hear the thoughts specifically of Claude and Luke uh, and so he's saying it's a company he's never heard of before. Um, it's uh, likely to be in the wheelhouse of both Claude and Luke. We'll find out in a moment saying it's underfollowed and it's in the health industry. Um, has recently launched uh, over-the-counter medicines online in China. So I don't know what the growth potential is there. So, um, Luke, I can't say I'm overly familiar with it either. What, what are you? Uh, how familiar are you with it?
2: Um, I wasn't, Andrew, until you know the list came through and I had a look. I think the main reason for that, it's a New Zealand business. So you've got an ASX listing, but it's very illiquid. It's primarily a New Zealand exchange uh, business. And also, so be aware of that as well. One of the points I was going to make to Harrison is – Um, you know if you jump on the ASX website or your Comsec data you'll be getting the Aussie dollar denomination for metrics like market cap and things like that but the business reports in NZ so just be careful if you're calculating PEs and things like that that you you use the NZ listing I think is is the easiest work around but look when I took a look it's a a very high quality business So uh, revenue CAGR of 14% for the last 10 years profits have grown steady alongside it Um, a a list of of, um, brands in that sort of consumer health space so it's it's not tied to like clinical trials in in you know like pharmaceutical drugs but more you know what you'd go and find on the shelf at your local chemist the um the maxegesic brand is actually one that i think we've got in our bottom drawer here so you know brands that are probably familiar to, to, to people um it, it's not cheap. Um, on my numbers, it trades on about 15 times the lower end of their FY23 guidance. Um, that's probably a, a fair price. I'd definitely hold it if you're there, particularly if you're on the ASX, because it's very difficult to actually get stock and get out. So if you've got a position, continue to hold it. If you're someone, if you're Harrison and doesn't own the stock and you're and you maybe looking at an entry, I'd maybe try to get it a little bit cheaper, maybe around that sort of 12, 13 times EBITDA. And in, in a an liquid stock like this, I, I think you'll get those opportunities, be that in an irrational market. Or even just one irrational seller in such an illiquid stock. It just takes one person to dump, you know, fifty, a hundred thousand dollars worth of stock, and you might get a bargain on any particular day. So always keep an eye on it. Um, it's probably just not liquid enough, or, or um, I, it, it's a bit um, steady, I suppose. I, I prefer a, a bit more, a bit more growth, particularly for that sort of size. Um, but otherwise, it was it was really interesting. I, could, I think could tick a lot of boxes for the right investor. Yep. Okay, Claude, are you familiar with it?
0: I, yeah, a little bit familiar with it. I've watched it for many years. Uh, Just Harrison has got, like, knows me well, I guess. There's a, um, just look at every single small cap healthcare company that has revenue, basically. And look, this is one that has always struck me as, like, a little bit expensive. And in that time, its share price has gone up. And the business has really developed as well. So I actually think this is a really interesting time to come to the stock uh, because it's paying down its debt. It's planning to pay a dividend next year in FY 2023 and it's essentially um, got a decent quality business with brands that have some pricing power, even if not heaps, perhaps the biggest sort of growth hope is um, Maxi MaxiGesic, which is just a combination of ibuprofen and paracetamol. But I figure, you know, everybody's getting sick a lot more these days. The probably demand for, for these tablets will be fairly strong. And, um, you know, they're currently sold in, I think, 46 countries. They're looking at getting that to 90 in the next couple of years. Look, they're they're profitable at this scale. scale, They should be even more profitable at a bit bigger scale. Um, In terms of pricing, look, I think I agree with Luke's comment, but I think I'm also just at the point now where I feel like this is quite a high quality business and you could just... Uh, pay up a little bit just to get a little holding and look I've been looking at myself I think whoever bought shares at $3 recently did very well but it was only trading at, at that price for around a week uh, essentially look I would call it I guess a tentative a tentative buy noting that I don't own shares myself it's super illiquid so it's one of those ones you'd only want to buy a little amount because you're effectively stuck in there that mm. and, and I think the thesis would have to be a long term compounding thesis so you know buy a little bit of shares and batten down the hatches I think is probably a reasonable strategy with this
1: one. Fair enough. All right, let's summarise where we've been for the first half of the show. Our stock of the day, IAG, with its latest uh, results. Claude saying we well, finds the whole sector of insurance. Uh, Unattractive given the risks there, no. So, from him, um, a hold though from Luke, because it does have an attractive dividend. Um, The first stock, as picked by you, Camplify, a hold from Luke saying not cheap, but it is doing the right things. Uh, Claude uh, previously owned it, but he was disappointed with the last results, so he's looking forward to the next results to see what he's going to do with it. He's calling it a hold. Alcidian, um, a hold from both. And uh, on to NUMI, uh, which is the old Freedom Foods. Um, it, uh, Correct me, I think, Luke, did you say a hold there? I think uh, you did, a, but it's no from Claude. Uh, MSL Solutions, um, difference of opinion here, Claude, he slapped a sell on it. He recently sold it, in fact. Um, Luke owns it. He's got a hold on it. And AFT Pharmaceuticals, a hold from Luke and uh, Claude, a tentative buy. All right, uh, now the call. It is tracking its own high-conviction fund, which is picked by our investment committee. The latest episode of that meeting is live here to watch at auspice.com Let's check in on the updates. And Tyro, Qantas, Frontier Digital Ventures, Tabcorp and Steadfast were removed while Batcorp was added to the portfolio this month. We've also upped our cash holding to just over 10%. So far, our fund is two and quarter percent Uh higher on a cumulative return basis since its inception on March the 1st. So keep sending in your requests, keep the call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. All right, to the second half of the show, where we'll be looking at PlaySide Studios, Symbio, Smart Parking, Mosaic Brands and Sequoia Group. Let's start with PlaySide. Oscar, wanting to know about this, did release that, uh, that game, Dumb Ways to Die, and, and then released a bunch of NFTs off the back of that. And, uh, in fact, last month they signed an extended agreement with Facebook and Meta uh, with more gaming development in the works. Luke, how are you looking at PlaySide?
2: Um... Look, it's it's a very interesting business, and I think you're backing um, an entrepreneurial management team who, you know, you look at or you look or speak to them, and they clearly just live, sleep, and breathe gaming. They know the industry, and um, they're very they're very quick to act. So, so take that NFT experiment you were you were talking about before, Andrew. Um, you know, it sounds interesting as a few buzzwords to it, but they generated eight million dollars of revenue last quarter, um, and and of course, there's very little incremental cost. Most of that just fell straight through to to cash to the business. Um, so, you know, whatever your thoughts are on NFTs and, and mine is that, you know, 99% of the space is probably worthless. Um, you know, a management team has seen an opportunity, gone out, captured it, and, and you know, brought some, some valuable cash into the business. Um, can they put an ecosystem around it and do all the other things that a lot of NFT projects promise? We'll, we'll wait and see. But, but nonetheless, I, I give them credit for it. Um, look, you're paying a steep price today, 250 mil market cap, and, and you look at where the business has come from. Like people, when people paid you know, half a billion dollars for this business um, late last year, early this year, that, that was a little bit crazy in my mind. Um, I, I, I like them from the point of view of by far the best, you know, video game exposure on the ASX. If people sort of wanted that theme or or, or were looking for that sort of exposure, um, but but you're pricing in a, a lot of success because primarily what this business is is very low margin work for other game developers that work for higher things. They do um, at this price today, they really need to to smash it out of the park with their what they call original IP, where they're developing IP in-house and capture all of the value from, from the games that they develop. So the market got a bit excited about a game called Age of Darkness, which I think has done okay, but generated a couple of million dollars um, you know, over the last couple of quarters. It's not, you know, it, it doesn't support that market cap of where they are today. So I think if you're there, I know it's a theme we've had, it actually reminds me a little bit of Camplify to be honest. Um, you hold it if you're there because you're there for that long-term promise and I think you're backing a very good management team that have sort of proven they're passionate about the space and they can you know keep their things on the pulse and move quickly. Um, For me I I sit back and I'm happy to watch this one and just wait to see that execution. Um, It's also a very lumpy space gaming I mean uh, it's one of those ones where people look towards the winners like a Fortnite or a Call of Duty where these franchises generate multi you know hundreds of million dollars over many many years. Most games will have a, a spike for a couple of weeks or months and then fade away into obscurity and 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 these developers need to constantly keep on churning out new product try to capture that uh, magic again so i sit on the sidelines for this one but Mm -hmm. if you're there i actually would hold it i I think you're there you're there to back management and they haven't put a foot wrong i'll I'll grant them that okay claude
0: uh yeah, so I think that PlaySide and that was Luke absolutely nailed it. So I'm just going to try and add on top of that. I think PlaySide has traded as if like it was an ASX version of a meme stock, almost. With I feel like just completely just about um, the popularity of the idea of PlaySide and you know what new NFTs or whether it's a new game or whatever its new releases, just like trading on news flow, kind of as if the stock's reacting to like Reddit opinions more than anything else, which is fine as a trade or just as a sociological phenomena but in terms of valuation i completely agree with what um luke said but i'd just also add that i feel like a lot of it's possible that a lot of people that like talking about the stock on reddit don't realize the real market capitalization of the company because so many of the shares are escrowed i think it's about 145 million shares that are traded and 260 million that are escrowed so if you go into comsec or whatever the market cap will be like 90 million but actually it's like over 250 million so That's my two cents on it. Otherwise, look, it's an interesting business. I think it's kind of like Camplify in that it's in that set of money losing stocks. That's a bit more of a hopes and dreams than a um, profitable business. Uh, But I actually think it's way more overvalued than Camplify because it's market cap so much bigger and um, look, it, it still loses money. And even it's really great last quarter. That was more like a one off thing. If you go back a couple of quarters, the cash flow was a lot weaker. So yeah, I would just probably avoid it, except if you wanted to treat it as like a high beta, you know, meme stock. And if you believe that meme stocks were going to become a thing again, that might be a way to play it. But for me, I'd avoid it.
1: Okay. All right, PlaySide Studios. Let's get on to our next. Stop, Symbio. Uh, Jan, wanting to know about this, is a telco provider that makes uh, cloud and software based technologies such as. Communications Platform as a Service. I think the acronym is CPAS. Uh, the company's stock losing about half its value, in fact, since November, but it's not alone there, of course. Claude, Symbio.
0: So Symbio used to be called Phone, and it's one that I've owned um, for a long time and, and still own it. Um, it's The latest news is essentially that it sold some of its lower growth um, parts of its business and is zooming in on being basically a whole side wholesale provider to other companies of telecommunications um look the the reasons i like it is it's founder led, it has aligned management and they have done a lot of um you know acquisitions and disposals over the years not all of those have been successful but you can see them trying to position the company to catch um long-term growth and be sustainable in the telco industry and and that's the tailwinds they're trying to get onto with um you know these app based communications that then need connectivity to mobile phones to you know round out the service they're moving into southeast asia which is a reasonable strategy because they're trying to stay in this growth area um but they have a very strong and decent uh, profitable australian business as well uh which allows them to keep making profits even as they take risks to try and grow the, the business that um that growth strategy could fail that's probably the biggest risk in the short term and you know the other thing is that i actually just think that analysts have been a little bit um overly bullish on this i'm a little bit um, more conservative than the market has been in the short term. But um, I have previously overestimated it. So I actually um, bought shares from between $5 and then even towards the end of June that I paid $3.60 for some shares, which is closer now to, to my valuation, is would be $3.60 is where I'm kind of thinking it, it should be at, um, to be a buy, that is. So, um, yeah, not a probably close to being a buy, right now for me but i'm just it a little bit cheaper just because i'm a little bit uh, skeptical on the short term and um you know i want to see some success but having said that i do hold shares i consider it um a good long-term decent quality business to own so yeah like it wouldn't be terrible to buy at current prices but my personal price that i'm aiming for is a little bit lower
1: okay yeah what luke how do you look at that valuation at the moment
2: yeah, I think Claude wanted to say bye. I will I'll say I'll actually say bye, Andrew. Right. I think you know, we're just talking about playside and, and Camplify giving you giving you growth or the real potential for growth in the future. But as shareholders today, you're taking on some operating losses and, and a bit of a gamble that if that doesn't happen, you know, these businesses, you know, may end up going to zero or, or get heavily diluted along the way. Um, Claude, actually, I think on a very good point. I think this is a business people have probably overestimated the last couple of years. I I agree with that point. Brokers were pretty bullish a couple of years ago. You see that when the share price ran up and then obviously it's come off pretty strong. Um, And I think that growth's been a little bit behind where people expected, particularly into that Southeast Asian region where they've been focused. But take a step back from that. You've got a very profitable core business. Um, You know, on, on my estimation, about 10 times EBITDA, I think it's a very fair price. Um, and all the cash that comes along beside that, they had more than 100% cash conversion. So, you, you know, it's, it's, a, well, it's, a, it's a true EBITDA compared to some of these businesses that capitalise costs, you know, in the background. So for me, I think you're paying a pretty fair price just for the core business, assuming that, you know, nothing else changes. You get a bit of a free option then at, at the growth where they are spending about $5 bucks a year to go into Southeast Asia. Early signs are okay, but go back to Claude's point. I think the, the thing that really gives you some, you know, sleep at night, um, protection is you've got two founders in the business who through many, many years have proven that, um, you know, they will, will look after the interests of shareholders because they are, you know, large shareholders themselves. So I, I back them to if that growth in Asia doesn't come through like they planned, they'll, they'll step back. They, they actually came out last report and said they pulled back from an acquisition because it was going to be too expensive for them. So, you know, I I, I take the protection of a, of a core business spinning out a ton of cash the optionality of growth, I, I think it's a pretty low risk buy at these levels, pending, you know, of course, market could do what it do, but uh, from from a standalone stock, I think hmm. it's very attractive sort of around this $4 level. Okay. All right. A low risk buy from Luke. To smart
1: parking, Zoe wanted to know about this. It is a global provider of uh, tech, hardware and software for parking solutions, uh, which enables uh, what's autom- uh, automatic number plate recognition, which um, certainly I find it easier when you go into parking space and you don't have to fiddle around and lose your lose your ticket and so on so that certainly makes it uh, easier and luke i know you've been all over this in the past so what's your what's your latest reading on uh, smart parking
2: um, yeah, well, Nadine had us on a couple of weeks ago and said bring some, uh, bring a buy, bring some positivity amongst all the negativity. And this was this was the stock that I brought. So I'll keep it brief, Andrew, because I've actually got a write up on merryweathercapital.com.au um, dot that So um, Zoe, who wrote it in, feel free to jump on the website. There's a, a blog post there that sort of outlines smart parking. And I've recently bought um, at these prices. I, I believe it was around eighteen cents. So um, I think it represents. Pretty good value, and, and uh, similar to my net phone, I think you're getting a a, a business there today that's um, you know quite cheap. On my estimates, about five to six times EBITDA, but a ton of cash flow that comes in behind that. And so the optionality of growth, which management so far have executing pretty well on, um, particularly um, here in Australia, and looking to move into Germany as well. So um, I think it's definitely still a buy as more of that sort of low risk, but that the optionality if management can execute, that's sort of the investments that I like to find. Um, so, yeah, no, I'll, I'll say buy. And, and, yeah, if you want that more in-depth analysis, so, um, jump, on the, jump on the website and, and have a read.
1: Yep, nowhere to find that. Claude, um, do you agree? Uh,
0: look, I, I think I do agree. I don't own shares myself. Uh, but ever since uh, Luke's wrote it up and he's also uh, told, told us about it a couple of weeks ago, I've had a look at it, and it looks pretty good to me. So I will call it a buy. I haven't finished doing my own um, due diligence on it. Now, the reason that I'm hesitant, the reason that I'm sort of taking my time to, to think about it is because this company has actually been listed for quite a long time. And in, to my mind, it's like there's sort of almost five years of sort of failure to fire for me to reconcile myself with. So with these kind of businesses, um, I do like to go back and, ha- and have a look at, uh, see, understand the history and need to understand why it's really going to be better from here. In the short term, look, I think it's fair to say they were hit really hard by COVID. And so, to a degree, this could be seen as um, somewhat of a reopening plate. Now, with with the thing, um, there's also some threat that, I guess, their business model could be uh, too harsh on consumers with parking fines and stuff like that. So there's a regulatory risk that Luke has highlighted in his um, outline. Look, I don't know that um, high parking fines really should be or are the highest um, priority for regulators. So, you know... That, that could happen. Um, maybe you you want to have a look at, see how the, op, um, the business operates under those, under new circumstances that are supposed to, um, well, were originally supposed to take effect in 2023, but that's years away and the business may have completely changed and become more profitable by then. So that's why like keeping in mind the risks um, and keeping in mind that I haven't bought shares myself yet, mm-hmm. Um, it is one on the top of my list and and for the purposes of this show, I'd probably call it a buy as well.
1: Okay, we like that. Uh, Good one. All right, we better lift the pace as we uh, move to the end of the show, the second last one, Mosaic Brands, uh, the largest specialty fashion retailer group in Australia. Uh, You'd be familiar with some of the brands, Millers, Rockmans, Noni B, Rivers, Katie's. Uh, Louis saying, interested in your view on it, um, has the market cap been unfairly beaten down? Uh, following a few negative trading updates over the past period, or is this just an example of an old-school retailer not sufficiently moving with the modern times? Claude?
0: Um, look, these old-school retailers that don't move with the modern times can have a lot of operating leverage in their business. They can go in and out of trend. They can have a few good years and a few bad years, and it's just a massive roller coaster that I mostly choose not to play. I like to look for some sort of secular tailwind in, in my investments, especially ones you'd consider high risk, which this is high risk. So yeah for that reason i'd sort of say more like i don't i don't think there's any secular growth tailwind reason to buy this like it's just a matter of oh it's under overvalued now and maybe the market's going to correct that and i'll sell it a profit that can happen with these kind of cigar butt. well it's not cigar bat, but these kind of very distressed um companies that aren't on a good secular growth path but for me i just try and avoid them because they're really tough places to stay uh to play basically
2: yeah luke um, yeah, look, further to that, I'll give you a brief timeline of this business. So at the end of the second quarter, um, they actually reported a decent profit in that first half, um, had 32 million debt drawn. Um, things have really gone off the rails. So at the end of the third quarter, um, they'd drawn an extra 15 mil debt um then put out a weak market update and said that they expected a full year loss after a 14 mil profit in the first half so you know second half is, is at least a 14 mil loss if not more we wait and see exactly what it what it turns into two weeks ago said they wouldn't pay cash interest on one of their convertible notes they're going to capitalize the interest rather than pay cash out of the business um i suspect this business as an equity listing doesn't have long left and, and i would i would probably say a very strong sell to anyone who's in there um this this is looking like it'll be recapitalized and and you'll be diluted a a long long way down because it's a 21 mil market cap with uh, 47 mil debt and some convertible notes on top so debt holders control this business right now um the the share price share price reflects that so i i wouldn't be there andrew
1: all right okay so perhaps if you do own it you need to act finally uh sequoia group And, uh, in fact, uh, Bell wanted to know about this one. It's an integrated financial services provider. You may be familiar with, with Finance News Network, which it owns. Luke.
2: Yeah, look, a bit of disclosure around this one. So I I own it in Meriwether Capital, but I've actually recently trimmed it a little bit. Um, One of the reasons why is because it's it's held up quite well in the market downturn and become a bit of a larger weight for me. Um, But the other reason is, uh, I'll take a step back. So a a large chunk of their business is services to financial advisors um, and accountants. That's actually quite a defensive business. And so a big chunk of the revenue and earnings, I think, will be fine. But there is aspects to this business that that are tied to the cyclicality of markets, um, and the main part they have there is a, is a corporate advisory business that obviously generates fees on IPOs, um, you know, placements, capital raisings, things like that in the market. Um, that's been a pretty tough space since the the start of um, you know the, the the second half of 2022. Um, and these guys are nowhere near the size of Goldman Sachs and, and the big banks in the US. But If you have a look at those big banks in the US, the, the one part of their business that's really suffered in, in the last couple of quarters is that capital market, markets exposed segment. So I still own Sun Bell, Um So I'm not I'm not completely negative on the business, particularly that valuation. For me, trades on six or seven times EBITDA. And again, come back to that same theme with Symbio and smart parking. It's the cash generation that comes in behind the EBITDA. That's what you're always looking for. So from that point of view, look, I still think it's very cheap it'd become a bigger bit of a bigger waiting for me and just be a bit wary that it it does have that cyclical nature it's not as defensive as as maybe what you first think um just looking at purely at that services business to the um, financial planners and accountants so i guess i would say a hold andrew uh, but, but that disclosure that i have actually taken a little bit off for the fund yeah okay claude
0: great insights there I agree that the short term is probably looking a little bit rough. this is actually one I hold as well uh, look yeah you got that situation where it's buying back shares. I would say um, I think that for me personally I'm probably overexposed to some of these um, this industry generally but uh, so it's funny that I'm like investing in in it uh, with my portfolio as well but look I admire what these guys have built been watching them on the market for many years now. Um, it's can be a tough industry with advisors leaving the, leaving the industry, which isn't really good for them. And, and it's a bit of a struggle sometimes, but something needs to fill the void that's, that's been left. And, um, these guys are there and they're trying to get scale and they're knitting together a various parts of the, like vertically, um, integrating in a way in the financial advice industry. And so, um, given that they can take advantage of a low share price by buying back shares, I do quite like them myself. Um, Luke's giving me pause there because I agree with the short term but I think in the long term if you took a long term view I would actually say it's probably um, a buy like I think that these guys will be a much bigger company in five years it's just that that path that they take there if we're going through if we do go through a recession and stuff then this is one that I would expect probably to get hit quite hard
1: yeah okay all right well let's uh, summarize the second half of the show then uh, playside studios there Luke saying well he's saying it's the best video gaming uh, exposure you can get on the ASX but he's got to watch and hold on it um, but Claude is avoiding at it avoiding it at this point. Uh, Symbio Claude owns it um, but he's watching it perhaps as a buy and um, Luke calling it a low risk buy smart parking. Uh, Luke saying good value. He also owns it. He's got a buy on it, as does uh, Claude, as he calls it a a reopening uh, play there. Um, Mosaic Brands, uh, uh, conversely, uh, Claude saying very high risk, avoiding it. And Luke is slapped a sell on it, saying the company's essentially in its dying days. And Sequoia Group there, a hold from Luke. He owns it, but he's trimmed it. And Claude, he owns it, uh, calling it a long-term buy. All right, that is the show for today. Claude, thanks for joining us for Reach Life.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: And Luke, as always, thanks for joining us from Meriwether Capital. Thank Andrew. All right. Any stocks you'd like us to cover, flick us an email, thecall at osbiz.com.au, or you can tweet us at osbiztv. And a reminder, you can find those stocks we have in the Calls Portfolio. Head to osbizco forward slash portfolio. Stay with us. Much more to come.